ass-kicking. And as always, no bullshit allowed. Recorded live at Bullshito Headquarters in Austin, Texas. This is the Art of Fighting BS Podcast. Brain chips in the trench. Chocolate lines up planetarily with the sun. I'm sure on some planet your style is quite impressive. But the weak link is, this is Earth. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are live from Bullshit Headquarters deep in the heart of Texas. This is the official Art of Fighting BS podcast this evening, starring Frost, JNP, Third time is a charm for our repeat offender, who is a medical doctor and has more PhDs than you can name, Sifu Jason Goldsmith. Ho, ho, ho. And I remain your moderately incompetent host, Submessive. I-, I like that you've upgraded yourself now, so you're not <laughs> Mod- you're yeah, moderately incompetent. Completely incompetent. <laughs> Next time you're going to be marginally competent. Okay. So, before we kick off, though, I, I-, I had this-, this spiel that I wanted to present, because... As you guys know, we do a lot of the um, like science communications. Like we kind of bumbled our way into doing that for people, but uh, and we're trying to convince people to wear masks to social distance and stuff like that. So uh, a lot of people are resistant, and we've been arguing with them on the website and on the, the Facebook page and all that nonsense. So I I came up with a slogan, like a, a catchphrase that we can use for to get the point across. So. And um, I, I want to present this to you guys for feedback and kind of set the tone for the, the whole podcast. So this is this is what what I'm proposing that we, we do. I just you know your honest feedback is important. So here, here we go. This is what I'm trying. Get throat fucked by a breathing tube, plague rat. So what do you what do you think? <laughs> That's, uh, you really know how to win the hearts and minds. I mean, I Good. thought we got to do it with tact and, and sensitivity. So. You should just very well done. You should just do a video of people getting coded. Yes, uh, can we do that? Put with that there. HIPAA. Don't no contacts. Just put that up there, and then people can ask what that is, and then you can explain it. <laughs> God, uh, you know what? If, if I die of this, I give everybody permission to see me dying in agony, just in you know, so that they get the fucking point. But you know, whatever. My kids are gonna be horrified. All right, so that was that was my bit. I'm going to shut up for a minute. <laughs> All right, so, so um, it's uh, it's been a couple of months. I think we last spoke in April or whatever, right? So you know, we said we were going to catch up. You were doing some ER duties and stuff, and you were going to kind Admitting of admitting duties, yeah. Uh, you know what's what's going on on the ground? So uh, let's see here. So I think last we spoke, I was right in the thick of it. So at least I'm in the Northeast, and so it hit hit hard. We had to turn lots of different beds and ICUs and add extra people on, have COVID wards. And then by June, it started petering out. And we're kind of at the, there's a few people here and there with it. We test everyone for it when they come to the emergency room. But I haven't had to admit anyone with COVID in a couple of weeks. I usually, you know, see one or two people that could be COVID. Usually they're not. So they have something else going on. I see more people having panic attacks because they're like nervous about what's going on in the world oh, shit. that mm. they are uh you know it's like people with other psychosocial issues going on that are then people who are actually ill with covid currently so it's been kind of an odd uh odd scenario so far but it's it's died down where we are it's shifted to other parts of the country but it's been improved for us at least so what uh what kind of test are you currently using 
So we're still using just, there's two. There's the PCR, the standard PCR, which we have a hollow logic, and then there's the Abbott rapid test, which is the two-hour test, which is not technically a PCR, but still like acid test, so it measures the same thing. The antibody okay. tests are basically garbage. There is no antigen test, so we're stuck with the PCR, which causes all types of issues, which we can get into when we get into the deep weeds of the science of this, but that's part of it, is that all we can measure is the genetic material of the virus if it's present, which doesn't mean you're infectious, but... All right, so let's talk about therapies first and foremost, right? So hydrochloroquine is making a strong comeback in the socials. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I will say the the Yale epidemiologist yes. who has been getting some flack for his post in Newsweek, the opinion piece, is correct that there's very little evidence for or against hydroxychloroquine being used preventatively with or without anything else zithromycin zinc. Almost all of the data is in inpatients, which means people who've come into the hospital who are already sick. In total, for all people coming into the hospital who are already sick, it doesn't. We thought it did initially with a few studies, and we thought it didn't, then we thought maybe it could be working, and as you know, you go back and forth, you settle on the data, and it doesn't work. Inpatient. Outpatient, we don't have very much data one way or the other. And so the real question is, could you use hydroxychloroquine to prevent you from getting COVID to begin. And the as answer is we have, as a prophylactic, like a preventive measure. And the question is, when the answer is we don't know. The problem is, um, that's how hard do you know you can't prove a negative? Well, no, you could. What you do in this case is you give a whole bunch of people at randomized trial and measure infectivity rates over three months, just being in the wild and make sure you randomly select patients so that any confounders like where they live or other health activities are randomly distributed equally between the two groups. So I'm sure those trials are ongoing. I haven't bothered looking on clinicaltrials.gov to see if they've happened yet, but I'm sure they are. Um, but the problem is, in the meantime, it's not something you just want to go. So hydroxychloroquine is known to cause arrhythmias. It's known to cause arrhythmias in particular when you add it on top of azithromycin because it's part of a classification of drugs called QT prolonging drugs. QT is just part of your heart rhythm on an EKG. It's the space between two of the little blips. And so the longer that gets, the more likely you are to have a fatal arrhythmia called torsades to point. So lots of drugs are QT prolonging. Azithromycin and hydroxychloroquine both are, so in combination get more worried about it. So while it's one thing to go, you know, hydroxychloroquine has this side effect for rheumatoid arthritis, the risk of rheumatoid arthritis is far worse, so take hydroxychloroquine. Or it's one thing to go, malaria is bad, so take hydroxychloroquine for that. But we don't know the efficacy for a preventative approach for hydroxychloroquine. So if you notice, doctors, you know, ran full steam ahead and started prescribing it inpatient acutely. You're sick, you're in the hospital, things are bad. Anything that might work, let's use it. Great. But now you're talking a whole other paradigm where you want to put millions of people on a drug where you don't know the benefits. You do know what the side effect profile is. You're going to be putting way more people on the drug than are normally on the drug ever. And so you have a known exposure to side effects with an unknown benefit. And because you're massively amplifying the number of people, right? Millions and millions of people using it preventatively versus thousands of people in the hospital at a time who are very sick, under doctor supervision, getting EKGs every day. The cost benefit isn't there without the data. So at this point, it doesn't make sense to prescribe it because we don't have the data that it works, basically. So treat or next thing, I guess, is question <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So let's move on to uh, treatments. That do so, work? 
uh, or uh, well, so preventative. So we're talking about having there's this uh, UK thing right uh, out of um, Oxford, uh, Oxford, I think that they have uh, uh, 80% efficacy is what they're claiming. Right. So it's hard to see the final result. The good news about the Oxford group is they were already working on SARS-1, or really MERS. And so they took that, which is another coronavirus, and just shoved in the sequence for COVID-2, or coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, COVID. And now they can just take the same exact platform and put the other thing in and get it going again. So they were able to really jump the line and get ahead. So hopefully it works. Um, there are actually treatments out right now that are in use that work. Besides R- this, remdesivir. Know, remdesivir. Remdesivir. Conv- I, I, I yeah, can't say yeah. it right. Yeah, whatever. And convalescent plasma. So that's okay, plasma so, for ah. people who are sick before. Oh, okay. So it's like, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. And those work. And then we figured out that if you flip people on their stomach and prone them, that works. It helps oxygenate them, which we've known for a while with other diseases, but it seems very important here. We're looking at anticoagulation, so giving people blood thinners when they're having certain signs of COVID, so high signs of coagulation problems. To combat that, we don't use it in everyone because of increased bleeding, but if you're a COVID patient who looks like they're clotting off or having concern for clot, we'll put you on anticoagulation. Yeah, we're running a lot of D-dimers and fibrinogens at work. Exactly, D-dimers and fibrinogens. If they're, if they're elevated, then we give you some. So, I think we lost. So those are kind of our main tools, but we're doing better. So I think we are doing better um, than we have before, which is kind of a good thing, right? So part of the reason the case fatality rate is going down is in part because we suck less at treating it. Are we still on track to hit two hundred thousand deaths? To confirm your prediction, not that that's what we want to do, but I know silver line to be right. All right, there's John. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, I'm close. I thought you had a question, John. Close. You were going to chime in with something. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. JP, you had some questions. Well, um, I don't know what y'all, uh, y'all covered um, a second ago. Uh, did we talk about – I just wanted to touch on the, the concept of, first of all, to educate people on critical number of any pathogen that needs to be reached before it can actually right. successfully infect your body, and then also how that relates – to oh, we might be losing you. Yeah. He kind of went. Yeah, he went, Mr. Roboto. God damn it. It's okay, but I can start going with critical number um, for infection. So I don't know the exact number for coronavirus because I have to go pull up. The and most you know, people says, "Well, I can smell it, so how can the mask be any good?" <laughs> right. Well, let, let's break it down separately. So. Coronavirus in particular seems to have a dose-dependent effect. That means is the more you're exposed to it, the more likely you are to get sick, and the sicker you're likely to be. So it's true for most things that you have to have a certain number of viruses or bacteria part, you know, cells, virus particles you're exposed to for you to get sick. Different viruses have different effects, which is why we don't always just get sick from everything air, some virus gets in, but it's not enough to get you infected because your immune system will overcome it very quickly in these scenarios. This is true of everything from hepatitis to HIV, influenza to pneumonias. There's a minimum effectivity. So that's one part. And then the second part for coronavirus is that it seems to be that the more virus you have beyond that point, the sicker you get, which isn't always true of every, of every virus. So some viruses or some pathogens generally, if you get above the that number, you're probably going to get sick, but then 
You're not more sick if you get even more. In a coronavirus's case, COVID-2. When I say coronavirus for this conversation, I mean COVID-19, which is not the name of the virus. It's the name of the disease. But, disease, yeah. But, well, because SARS-CoV-2 is a mouthful. So for COVID-19, it seems to be its dose. Which is why we saw healthcare workers get so sick initially, because they were exposed to the water. So now, what about masks and smelling things through? So there's two things. One, um, I like to always remind people, especially when I fart, that uh, all smells are particulate. So you are um, indeed experiencing whatever smell is occurring <laughs> literally going into your mouth and your nose. nose. You're tasting it. You are. You are tasting it with your nose. That's so much worse. Uh, it is. It is that way. So, And those are small molecules that can aerosolize. They're, you know, on the order of hundreds of Daltons, but they're small chemical compounds. They are not a virus. Um, a virus is, you know, has a shell around it of some form, usually a membrane. It can have some type of wall to it, too, that's modified by proteins. And inside of that are several um, proteins that are enzymes that catalyze its ability to reproduce. And then the genetic material of the virus, either DNA or RNA. Those are all, on the molecular scale, big. They're not as big as a cell, but they're big. And so virus particles don't travel through the air like smells do. Smells are true aerosols. They can travel very far. They're very small. You can, you don't require very many of them to smell anything. So you can detect things in parts per billions or trillions, easily parts per millions for smell, but you can't detect it. But, but, but a virus, you have to, virus is not going to spread that. So that's why we wear masks. It's because coronavirus is not generally aerosolized. It's a droplet which means it comes out spew, a.k.a. sneezes, your breath, comes out in liquid form. It's surrounded by little by water droplets, and those water droplets spread four or five all ground where they sit. So they're not flying in the air. Now there's medical procedures. There's some scenarios where if you sneeze in a very condensed space, it'll scatter into the air and last longer before it falls down. But it's not an aerosol where it just hangs in the air for hours, generally speaking, and it doesn't travel far. And so the masks, number one point, is they prevent your crap from getting onto other people. And then to a much lesser extent, they prevent other people's crap from getting on you. But smells are completely different size than uh, viruses. It'd be like comparing a chihuahua and a car. Tiny. I'd have to do the math. So let's, let's talk about how tiny, because one of the things that I've heard <clears throat> specifically is that the N95 masks are, you know, the reason why they're called N95 is because they are 95% efficient at filtering particles at, and definitely correct me if I get the numbers wrong here, but I think it's like 0.1 microns. Right, which is the and size it, of coronavirus. So, but that is the average size of coronavirus. There's definitely coronavirus that's smaller. Yeah, and so or I think it's N95. Yeah, so and the coronavirus is estimated as 60 to 140 nanometers, and uh, that's 0.6 to 0.14 microns. Okay, for all of us that just converted math. So a micron is uh, is a micrometer, and a nanometer is 1,000. So 60 to 140 is 0.6, 0 0.06 to 0.14. So it's about, on average, 0.1 micron. Okay. So coronavirus is around this limit of a size that an N95 will particulate but i think n95s have a range i can pull that up really quick n95 mask pore size is um they are at least 95 efficient at that size for 90 for sodium chloride particles 
So yeah, so they're designed uh, to be about, I'm just pulling up one paper here, about 99.95% or higher at 0.75 microns. Um, it's usually aerosolized, aerosolized sodium chloride that they use, and so that's much smaller particles than 0.1 microns, sodium okay. chloride being salt. So when you do um, an N95 fit test, and this is one thing that cracks me up, so to wear an N95 properly, you have to get fit tested. But you put one on, you put a dome over your head, and then they pour in something that smell that tastes terrible. This bitter aerosolized chemical. And CS you can't, it, it's it's something <laughs> weird. It's it's terrible. It's like I don't know, it's like it's this really distinct bitter chemical taste. Okay. And if you can taste it, your N ninety five doesn't work, doesn't fit your face. So you have to so I only fit one brand and one type of N ninety five. This is my face and shape. I have an obnoxious face for fitting. But very small. Like this right down here. So I, if I have the long N95, it'll bring my jaw. It doesn't form a seal. So all these people running around in N95s who've never been fit tested, uh, blocking the particle. Now, it'll probably protect more against the spew coming out of most things, but it won't be aerosol protection because they don't have a seal. Right. So that's a really good point that I think. smell things in an N95. So I think you, you kind of mentioned this earlier is that, you know, the virus is not just floating around as a, a, a virulent particle on its own, it is uh, in some sort of mucosal stuff that's going on. Right, exactly. Yeah, so it's, so the way to think of an aeros a, a true aerosolized virus would be if you sneezed in an elevator, you were alone, you left. Two hours later, someone could be infected in that same elevator. Virus still. That is aerosolized versus you have to touch the handle of the, or the door or the button where your snot got onto, it's on the floor, it's a droplet. Now I can take a droplet disease, and if I intubate someone in the hospital, tube down the throat, or you give them a breathing treatment, or put them on a CPAP, those can all aerosolize droplet, make them get suspended in the air, but that's not the default. If it was an aerosolized disease, which there's media reports trying to convince us sometimes it is, uh, it would not spread the way it's spreading. Everyone in the hospital would be sick. You, social distancing won't have an uh, face masks or, you know, cloth face masks and surgical masks wouldn't be seen to be working at all because they wouldn't work because they're not wearing 95. Social distance doesn't matter. You walk through the area that they were in and 10 minutes later, you still get sick. Losing people left and right. Uh, yeah. What's going on here? What? Yeah. Here. I think we might have lost them. All right. Sweet. Fire other some questions. Let's see what they say. Um, so someone asked about uh, de uh, dextro dexamethasone. Dexamethasone, thank you. Yeah, so that also works. So dexamethasone is a steroid, kind of like prednisone for those who better have prednisone paper or asthma or something else, and it works to reduce inflammation. So people who are getting really sick. Um, so take a step back. One of the problems of COVID causes something called a cyto a cytokine storm is a massive release of knowledge. Hey, uh, Jason, uh, real quick, can you uh, can you bring up your mic just a little bit? Yep. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah so, no. Cytokine storms. So cytokine storms are when your body releases all these cytokines, which are signaling molecules in your body that cause a massive immune reaction. And so this is actually what leads to sepsis, a.k.a. your blood vessels dilating and your fluid leaving your body and your, your blood vessels into your tissue surrounding your, into your basic flesh instead of being in your blood and that then causes your blood pressure to drop and if that keeps going uh, your blood pressure drops enough you die that's sepsis so cytokine release syndrome 
um, was seen a lot recently with all these new fancy immunology drugs to treat cancer because they activate your immune system. It's also seen in autoimmune diseases to a certain extent, but not this badly. But coronavirus seems to trigger this in a certain small subset of people. Not everyone, but when it does happen, it's bad and hard to treat. And they found that early dexamethasone helps prevent that. So if you're coming into the hospital, your fibrinogen, D-dimer, other signs of inflammation are up, you get given dexamethasone to try to hold that in check. That seems to work. And um, that's actually in contrast to influenza where it doesn't seem to work. But it does work in coronavirus, which is good. Hey, I, I want to chime in, and you can hear me, right? Because I was, I was muted for I a second there. Okay. Yeah, I, because a lot of people are getting all this information up front. They're, they're seeing how the sausage is made, and they're just latching on to something because they're scared, like hydroxychloroquine. And they're like, oh, my God, it's a savior. That's, that's, that's hydroxychloroquine in the fucking tap water. So right. the problem, and I think we definitely need to address this, is that it, it takes years to sort this shit out to get a firm, or even not even a firm, but a good answer to, yes, this is the best method of dealing with something. This is the most reliable. And so some people have, who have no insight on how science or medicine works are, are freaking out because they're they're so used to having a ready-made answer, you know, ready to go. It's like, oh, you, you get the flu, you take this, you know, that kind of thing. And it doesn't help with then... Um you know, doctors are touted out by one politician or another saying their specific point of view in the press conference. So, and that's not that those doctors are necessarily being deceptive, but the reason we have random clinical trials is because it's known that a physician treating someone will get biased results. They'll have confirmation bias. They'll think something's working even if you look more broadly it's not. There's all these phenomenon. We don't need to go into the weeds, but that's why when you hear double-blind clinical trial, that means the physician and the patient don't, don't, don't know what they're getting or what they're treating with. That's the only way to deal with what are called these confounders or these biases to, to eliminate them to see what's really going on. Yeah, in fact, uh, so, Fauci just you know, some doctors, I'm sure, right, but I'm sure some doctors think it works and are giving it and they think they're getting great results. But unless you do a trial, you can't trust your own inclinations that well. Your own observations can be the reason to do a trial, Right. Okay, I gave hydroxychloroquine. I think it's working. Now it's time for a trial. But it's not enough to say, well, now it works. That's just enough to get you to the trial, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, so what people are seeing is how the sausage is being made. They're seeing the debate going on. But it's also, I, I hate to be someone to bash on the media, all the, but in this case, I really do think we need to bash on the media because, frankly, they are selling by clickbait saying, oh, look, this study says don't send kids back to school. Oh, look, this study says send kids back to school. Oh, look, here's a new treatment. Oh, look, this one says a treatment doesn't work. They want every single clickbait and story going on, and they slant this, what the actual articles say to be maximally sensationalized. And really what's actually happening is lots of data is coming out. And it's painting a more and more clear picture over time. And the studies don't actually contradict each other that so, for instance, there was a new study in JAMA Pediatrics that just came out that talked about how there's higher amounts of RNA in symptomatic kids with COVID. And so, someone's, and then so the news articles are all saying this means that children can spread COVID better than adults. That's their conclusion. And then, you know, and that's now it's being spread around the news media. So, any, any scientist is going to try to put what the concerns are of the paper, but the scientists also talk about the limitations. And so here's the problem. And there's two problems. One, the amount of RNA 
could be equal to the amount of virus. So the RNA is that genetic material. It could be proportional to the amount of virus that the, that child is shedding or that patient generally is shedding, but we don't know that. They didn't test it. We don't know that. And we do know that adults, for months after they're no longer infectious, can release RNA through their stool, through their snot, through their whatever. So we know that infectivity and RNA don't necessarily correlate. We do know that if you're symptomatic and you have a positive test, you're probably infectious. We just assume that at this point. It's a reasonable assumption. But we don't know if you have more RNA, are you more infectious or not. It's a good assumption, but we know that it doesn't necessarily match one-to-one. We also know that lots of people get the virus, don't ever get sick, kill it with cross-reactive immunity. Their immune systems already can kill the virus, and we can get into why later. They may be have a positive PCR test because they're shedding RNA, but they never infect anyone because they're not infectious. Their body's just killing it all, and what you're measuring in that PCR test is the dead virus being destroyed and eliminated from the patient's body. And then we do have another test from South Korea that shows that children 9 and under spread it less well than 10 plus. So we have an actual transmission study in symptomatic people that shows that children 9 and under spread it less well. And then we have a study measuring RNA that says they have more RNA in the kid than in adults, and so they could be more infectious as a result of that. But we actually have the downstream study that shows that children are less infectious, and that's the real question. So how do you piece this together? You go, well, the South Korea study is really answering the actual question, what age groups are most infectious? It seems to be kids aren't as infectious. And the PCR study is merely measuring a measure of virus that is indirect, aka the genetic material, not the actual number of virons being admitted, nor are they measuring infectivity. And so in total, you say, maybe, given everything else we know, there is a disconnect between PCR levels and infectivity. You should assume anyone who is symptomatic is infectious. They do have vi- virus counts. But we don't actually know they're more infectious, and you can't draw that conclusion. Yeah. But that's why you go to grad school and med school to understand all this stuff. Not easy, <laughs> right? This is not like, oh, you can just wait, 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 no, no, New York Times is not sufficient? Well, but, but that's the point. But, like the, but even, the, even the JAMA article tries to say, well, this could mean they're more infectious, right? So then the New York Times gets that and says that's what they run with. But every scientific paper puts into context, well, what is the biggest story could mean by this? You know, there's part of that salesmanship in science as well. But every scientist who reads that goes, yeah, yeah, okay, well, that's kind of true, and that's not exactly it. And, you know, we really, this, I get that the concern is here, but it hasn't really answered the question, and you need to do this thing, too. And so it's complicated. And the problem is, it is complicated, and it takes training to understand it, and even MDs, not every MD is trained to analyze research literature particularly well. There's a very wide spectrum of it. And even PhDs aren't necessarily trained to understand the clinical context of the papers they read all the time. Like I was talking to a group of PhDs a day who didn't just assume that RNA levels meant infectivity. And then I pointed out all the data. And they're like, oh, well, that makes sense. But I didn't even think about that because you kind of assume it normally, which is true. But it's not true in, the, in this specific case. So it gets really complicated. You have to have experts take the data and line it up, paint a picture, and see where each new piece fits into that overall picture. And if something groundbreaking happens and it shifts the whole picture, then the whole picture shifts. But usually it's just little stuff getting put in all over the place. But the problem is, is it takes a lot of work to paint that portrait yeah, and then update it all the time. See, I, I actually have a model of how information is transmitted through from 
uh, the original source, the researchers, to the journals, to the science news, to the broader news, to the you know television news, and um, I and the model I use is the human centipede because once it yeah. gets filtered through all these different stages, it it there's like no nutritional value whatsoever, and it's just shit. Yes, I mean that that's the real problem. Is that you know I use the news to find the articles that are coming out that people are talking about, so I can go read them. So that I can then talk to people about those at this point. That's basically the, what I'm able to keep up with with my day job. Is go, oh, here's something sensational. What's the actual article? I'm going to go read the actual article and see what's going on. And then analyze it and add that into my working model of COVID. And then check with other experts like the NIH, like the American Association of Pediatrics, like the American College of Physicians. See what their working models are and see how close I am to what they say. And it's usually... Once you get to the consensus of the working models of people, myself and other people who do this are pretty close to what they're saying. Yeah, but, but th- that's not no, the conversation that's happening. There's no I easy mean, way to distill all that down into something that somebody with like no concept, not somebody doesn't even know what a placebo is, to say, okay, well, yeah, that wasn't a placebo-controlled trial, uh, so we we can't use that. Uh, which is literally no. what Dr. Fauci was testifying to some knucklehead congressman who's like. Well, hydroxychloroquine, there was a study out of bum fuck Idaho University, and, you know, it, it looks good. And he's like, yeah, it wasn't placebo-controlled. So there there was too many confounding factors. He tried to explain this to him, and you could see the guy's head, like eyes just gloss over. They don't want to hear it. They just want to, like, experiment work, drug work, people happy, and it just... Right. So, um, yeah, so everyone's everyone's able to play the grab because so much stuff is coming out that's all nuanced. Everyone's able to grab whatever they want from any article and make their point about it and score whatever political point they want, and it's a giant cluster. Yeah. Um, I won't even so, go into conspiracy um, theory that people have invested heavily in hydroxychloroquine and um, you know are desperate to recoup on their investment because they thought it was going to be the next big thing, but it's not. So uh, before I don't want to cut you off, but uh, we have um, uh, W. Murphy, Ph.D., has a question. So let me go ahead and read it straight from the Twitch channel. It says some other viruses have similar symptom profiles. However, lots of COVID-19, of course, but it's not like every other virus ranging from flu to common cold to even uh, the West Nile. So uh, getting confirmatory tests is nice. Okay, it's it's less of a question, more of a statement, but you, you can respond to that. Right, right. So, the, so the problem. So, so the, his question is, what is you know, other ones have confirmatory testing. Is uh, that what he's kind of getting at with the thrust of that? That's uh, how I interpreted it. Uh, it's a, we just don't have that for this. Right. So here's here's the problem. So coronavirus. That's the name we're all talking about, right? So coronavirus is a family of viruses. It happens to be a super common family of viruses, and is one of the families that causes the common cold. So, getting a test. That is, you know, getting a PCR test is easy. So the way a PCR tests at a very basic level is a test for a very specific sequence of genetic material that matches exactly coronavirus. And the reason PCR works so well is that you can always tune this to only measure one genetic sequence. So you can get very high what's called sensitivity and specificity, but low false positive and low false negative rates. The biggest issue with PCR tests is getting the swab into the nose at the right spot right? But that's it. And you can get the test to work really well as a result. Because it's always specific to every genetic thing. It's like genetically sequencing something, if that makes sense to people. But you're basically sequencing, but it's really a positive-negative, is the sequence there? 
Oh, that I works great. The actual the problem with so there, the there, there, there's another problem with that too, though, right? Is the timeliness of of um, performing the PCR analysis does not do necessarily... day. Really? Yeah. They're they're turning it around in like ten to fourteen days. That's because they don't have enough machines. Now, frankly, if you wanted enough machines, you could get every lab in the country has a PCR machine. Any grad student, postdoc, or competent undergraduate technician can run the PCR. Yeah, we just rolled out a bunch of Alenity machines. We have one in our lab. I mean, like, you could deputize them if we actually really cared about it. The bigger problem is you're actually running out of Q-tips and sample collection swaps, right? But it's really really the the capacity of a given lab, not the, and, like, the number of Q-tips and kits available, not the ability to do it. If we really, if we had an infinite supply, you could deputize postdocs like me train or grad to students that. or anyone we could run that PCRs don't even, all day took a done. course in immunology to could, could run it it's it's not the the interpretation that's the issue it's just getting it into the machine properly yeah you pipette some stuff and hit a butt yeah it's so easy. yeah so i think that's um one of the common misconceptions here is that you know here's a test that is you know highly specific highly accurate but it takes longer than you're going to be symptomatic for. That's because of our testing. Right. That's because of our bottleneck with testing, not because the test takes long. Like hospitals who have their own machines, it takes a day. Yeah, I got. I just got. Okay. That's so only I'm because admonished. they run it in batches. We, we got admonished because bumfuck Idaho is getting their results back in the same day. And, you know, okay. Touche. Idaho's a cool state. Right, right. But they but because they have less volume. It's about a volume issue and then running the samples and having enough stuff. It's not. The machine takes a couple hours. But more white supremacists. Like an hour of prep. It's not that bad. Yeah. So this, still, is, this is good info. And this is exactly right. why I asked the question. Because I don't think people understand um, what it takes to be able to affect that test yeah well the other thing is the test remember measures the genetic material not the virus so this is the other key fact i wanted to make sure people got from today is that the reason we can't get good antibody tests and so what is an antibody an antibody is a protein your body makes to binds to proteins or antigens of the virus okay so you have to build what you do to make an antibody test is you make synthetic antigen and then you detect if antibodies in the serum bind to that synthetic antigen. Okay? So you're seeing if you have antibodies in your blood that bind to this test synthetic antigen. That's the basic of it. The other thing you could have is an antigen test. So many people have had rapid strep tests or rapid flu tests, right? Where you just dip it and you see if you have something. Or uh, a pregnancy test. That measures the presence of the antigen itself using antibodies that we synthetically make the opposite of the antibody test. The problem is, is that COVID is a coronavirus and you have a shit ton of cross-reactivity. So the antibodies, if you make a test that's really specific to coronavirus, COVID, the antibody test will get a bunch of false negatives because it's too stringent. If you loosen it, make it sloppy, you're going to get a bunch of false positives because it's not stringent enough. Similarly, you have the exact same problem with an antigen test. If you make it too stringent, you'll get too many false negatives. Another way up too many false positives. You'll get too many people whose blood is reacting to other coronaviruses, but not COVID, that gives you a positive test. Yeah, they have a cold. Or too many other people who have um, antigens that look like coronavirus, COVID, but aren't. They're other coronaviruses. Because we're all covered in coronavirus constantly. 
And so we all have antibodies to other coronaviruses and antigens from other coronaviruses in our body. Not all of us all the time, but enough of us that it screws things up. Now, there's one silver lining to this. But I'll pause here for questions. Before I get yeah, this no, so this is, I think you're going exactly with what the question I was going to ask is, is that, um, you know, can these things be similar enough in some cases, isolated cases perhaps, where you have actually an intrinsic, um, uh, there you go, I could see you shaking your head. 20 to 50% of people have already have cellular immunity to coronavirus or COVID-19. So they took blood samples. Dr. Fauci put, or not? Yeah, Dr. Fauci put this up on the NIR, and Dr. Francis Collins, the head of the NIH, put this up on his blog. Um, they took samples from blood from I think it was 2015 to 2018 or 2005 to 2018, but something from before coronavirus COVID-19 existed. They took frozen blood samples and measured reactivity to COVID-19 antigen, and 20 to 50 percent—that's the confidence interval, right—had reactivity to it. Yeah, that's the exact study that I was uh, referring to. So, right. so thank that you means for people that. have cellular immunity to it already, which is why you're seeing such a wide range of responses, right? Some people don't get sick at all. And guess what population of people in society are covered with the most coronavirus and have the most exposure to it? New York. Kids. Oh. Guess who gets the least sick? Little kids. So the bad news is it's going to be really hard to make an antigen or antibody test that are worth anything because of all this cross-reactivity. The good news is we have a bunch of immune systems that are cross-reactive. Hey, so uh, switching gears, since we're talking about kids, you have an interesting take on opening schools. I do. It's a counterintuitive one, because most people, especially on the, hey, let's take this shit seriously side, have a different take on it. So I'll I'll let you explain that, because I I need to grasp it. Sure, okay. So... The way you have to look at do you open schools or not is there's two questions. What is the risk to the students? Or three, what is the risk to students? What is the risk to teachers? And what is the risk to the community from causing community spread? And you can kind of lump teachers and community spread together, essentially. Because if you're spreading it to the community, you're spreading it to the teacher. We good so far? Those are kind of the two categories. Yeah, I got it. Right. Risk to the students themselves, risk to the teachers and the community. Risk to students. So... Uh, my wife ran some linear regression on the number of estimated deaths that will be from ages 18 and under to coronavirus in the year, if, if for one total year. And the number looks to be about 250. The 250 kids, 18 and under, will die from coronavirus in a year. Yeah. Flu is like 160. Uh, I think swimming pools are in the 600s. And like car accidents drown- are in- Drownings, you mean? Yeah, drowning. Okay. Total drownings are in 600s. And it's six, several thousand for car accidents. They have to go pull it all up. But long and short, coronavirus and influenza are on similar scales. Uh, don't, don't say that. You're going to confuse the fuck influenza. out of people, man. You're going to be like, he said it. He said the kid gets just those flu, man. He said it's just the flu. Right. So 250, 250 in a year. So coronavirus isn't that risky to kids. And we've seen this over and over and over and over and over, Right. Young kids aren't that affected. There is this weird hyperimmune system syndrome that like 70 children or something have had. It's maybe more now, but it doesn't kill kids that much. So put aside the staff, and you go. 250, that's not zero. Zero is what you want. But what are the harms from not putting kids in school? Well, they get behind on education. They don't have mandatory reporters around to catch signs of abuse. They may not get school lunches. They're not going to learn very well. Their literacy is going to be high. 
There's higher risks of suicide right now. They're spiking. Uh, young kids need to learn how to socialize. You're stunting that. So if you just look at the children of any age, essentially, at this point, going to school, risk benefits of that versus risk benefits of staying home, it comes out very cleanly on the side of send them to school. Not talking about the population, the teachers. Okay, circling back to just the 250 with kids. number, though. Uh, somebody asked, 250 for a year. 250. Does that account for anyone with comorbidities or is it just the... Uh, total. It's total. Okay. Wow. Total. 250 kids will die. Yeah. Ish. And plus everybody... It's hard to get a better estimate than that because it's so rare that you can't model like exponential growth because kids don't seem to explode with deaths when it explodes in population. Right? Like New York had tons of cases. Florida had tons of cases. Texas has had tons of cases lately. The kid deaths aren't spiking. They just don't die from it. It's great. It's good news. Take what you can get this crazy-ass time. Yeah. Right? See, doesn't man, happen. You're, you're fucking up the narrative. It's got to be simple. I know. Uh, I can't. If it's not can't simple, it. people can't handle it. And they're like, well, you're opening schools, but why are you opening schools? I can't go to the bar. And, you know, I can't do <laughs> Right, right. So, right. So kids aren't that risky to themselves. And so if you look at all the other harms from not having school, it's very clear that it benefits for the children. It's better to go and take the small risk. And if you have a kid with a very specific comorbidity that your pediatrician thinks he shouldn't go in, then don't go and do virtual. Yeah. No one's saying that you shouldn't have that choice. But that's where the balance is. So question two, what about the teachers and the community? So step one, teachers need to be protected. If you're sending people in and no one's wearing PPE, that's a stupid idea. But if you look at just general studies of symptoms, and secondly, you have to look at symptomatic and asymptomatic transmission. Symptomatic kids spread the virus. We think they spread the virus one-third to half as well. I don't care what their PCR levels of the virus are. If you look at the one really good study from South Korea, plus all the other kind of incidental data you get from other looks at transmission and contact tracing, kids don't spread it as well as adults. It, young kids. It could be that young kids are shorter, and so they're not coughing in your face. They're coughing in your belly button. I mean, it could literally be that simple. They move less air. Or it could be that their immune system kills it better, and so they have less viruses that are being emitted. But kids, young kids, nine and under, don't transmit it as well as adults symptomatically. Asymptomatically, which includes, if you look at all those groups, anyone who will get symptoms but doesn't have it yet, because we don't know who that is, but asymptomatic transmission includes what's called pre-symptomatic, or those will go to get symptoms. Asymptomatic transmission is piss poor, and you can't get good data on it because it doesn't seem to happen that often in younger kids. It does happen. It's not zero, but it's not super common. So if you put people in face coverings, face masks, face shields, you implement social distancing, and you solve issues like busing, which is one of the real concerns of, you know, too close together on buses, and you figure out where they're going to eat, spread them apart to eat, you can have school be open, especially for the young kids. I'll get that in a second. But for K through, you know, K through fourth grade, K through fifth, maybe, but that under 10 cohort, the risk to the community spread is also relatively low. And so when you look at the benefits from that, for one, they're the group that can't do virtual learning. You get a kid to sit in front of a computer for eight hours a day unless you as the parent or whoever's watching them make them do it and sit with them the whole time. Oh, which yeah. means you cannot work. You can't work from home. You can't go into work. You can't leave your 8-year-old at home on the computer all day while you go to your essential job, right? Your 15-year-old or 16-year-old, you can figure it out. Your 8-year-old, you can't. So we got lucky. The one cohort who is at least able to learn virtually, young children, 
who he has the most need for socialization, the most need for in-person communication, who is not adept at virtual learning, is the one cohort that presents the least risk to themselves from getting sick and dying of COVID and to the community. And if you have someone in your house and you're a parent with a pre-existing condition or your grandparents take care of the kids and you're worried about that risk, stay home. But there's a large number of people, uh, my family included, with someone who works at home all day, you know, trying to create drugs to cure all these diseases, someone who else who is me, who goes into a lab and then works at night, I'm not home. Uh, you know, you have other essential workers, everywhere from grocery store clerks to truckers, pick, pick something. You have tons of people who everyone in the house is an essential worker who's not at home or available to watch a kid during the day. And what do you do with all of them if skills virtual? Uh, it only worked in March through June because a lot of people got sent home from their essential jobs and weren't doing them even then. But you can't do that for another whole year. It's not like that's not happening. So you need a solution. And the group that's the most, the least risk to society and themselves is the group that needs to be in person the most. So what you're it's, saying it's is actually that simple. We should nationalize children and just give them to the state to raise until this is all over. <laughs> We just have like communes and barracks for oh, Mar Mar-a-Lago, right? Oh man, I have avoided making a reference, but there it is. There it is. Okay, right. Uh, you win. They they can all go to the the hotels. It's, it's an island in the Caribbean. Right, yeah, but but yeah, seriously, yeah, but that but that's the rationale, and I, now I'm getting tons of flack from people on this who just want to shut down things down forever. But the point is, well, okay, so there's a vaccine that comes out in January that's 50 or 60% effective. That takes a while to distribute. At what point do you say that this is okay? Like, what's the limit here? You already have identified a low-risk population with a low-risk transmission pop risk with protocols in place to minimize transmission even further. Like, do it. Oh, you're really that worried about transmission? Fine, give the nurses N95s. Doctors can wear an N95 all day. You can get the... Teachers fit tested and put them in N95. Yes. Does that, that suck? Was a comment. Yes. Is that maybe are. what we have to do? Yeah. Uh, well, maybe. we haven't even touched on the issue of vaccinations because the same people, there's there's a, like an overlap of the people that are like, I'm not wearing a mask and I'm not getting a vaccine. I, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm saving that for January. Uh, okay. We'll follow <laughs> oh, up on that. When we start with the anti-vaxxers? Let's, let's, let's yeah. not. I'm this, I still think yeah. Jenny McCarthy needs to be loaded into a fucking trebuchet and launched into the ocean. Yeah, him and her, her and Wakefield. Oh, f motherfucker lives in town. Do I bring that up every single time he comes up? Because he lives in town. And I know what he, he looks like. Wakefield moved, for, Wakefield moved from England to... Uh, he lives, or lived, in Austin for a while. All I'm saying is he's one of the few people who I recognize and I would not slow down if he was in a crosswalk. Probably shouldn't say that because it's incriminating, yeah. but yeah, fuck that guy. I'd be doing humanity a service, and I'll, I'll take my I'll take my jail time. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I I can't. He's the example of doc. Not all doctors have ethics. Fuck, fuck that. Um, guy. As we know, but well, for, yeah. For the so audience playing that's at home, my view I just on opening schools, and I'm getting blasted for it, which I think is amusing because it's the same data-driven approach as everything else. But people don't like data if it doesn't go along with what they say. But don't worry, you and I will get like every vaccine that comes out. Because I swear to God, every single vaccine is going to healthcare workers first, and we're going to get them all. Yes. Problem. And I, you know, I seriously considered. There's a trial going on here in town, and I seriously considered saying fuck it and try. I mean, I'm I'm over the hill anyway. I'm not going to get any better, so I'm not getting any stronger. Well, actually, I'm getting stronger. But I, I, 
if if I catch this <laughs> and I I get cancer from thirty years from now, okay, fuck, I've had a good run. Let, let's do this. But you know, I I lost the contact yeah. information for him, so fuck it. Nice. Yeah. Nope. Vaccine time. So All the vaccines. Um, yeah, just vaccine <clears throat> the fuck up. I wanted to circle back on a couple other things, and this is kind of disjoint because it, these are just notes that I've kind of like taken off to the side as we've been talking. Right. Um, so we've kind of sort of a little bit touched on it, um, but I don't think we've talked about it in detail, and I, I would be curious to have your opinion on um, the state of uh, our mutual and communal mental health as the result of all of uh, these goings on. Oh, it's a clusterfuck. So to continue with the theme of uh, this episode, it, it's bad. So anxiety's through the roof, suicide's up, depression's up. This is, you know, we have a giant economic recession, which is always bad for this, combined with existential dread. I think, what, the average population thinks that 9% of people have died of coronavirus? Oh, shit. Dude, what? Yeah, so so they did a poll, and I think the poll result was people thought nine percent of Americans had died of coronavirus. Did they know how much nine percent of <laughs> Americans is? Because I, I know, but the view is that it's this lethal murder hobo running around killing everyone, and everything, and that's the current like narrative uh, you, that people have. You, you gotta, I, I see that, but there's like moral hazard there, and you know you don't want to too strongly, and, and it sucks that you got to be. Uh, was it uh, paternalistic about this shit? But you don't want to too strongly say yeah. that's not right. You're just gonna want to whisper it. That's that's not exactly right because they're like, oh wait, they're not killing as many people are dead. It's only 150,000. That's not 10 percent of the population. I'm gonna go fucking do some shooters. I'm going to to I'm right. going to Hooters. I'm gonna go fucking you know sexually harass all those teenage college girls. And, yeah. Uh, well, people don't have a sense for numbers. Nine percent in a year would be like, like unfathomable. Yeah, we wouldn't. It would be like uh, two two point seven million people, right? There is there's no nine percent would be thirty. We'd have mass graves like thirty. Yeah, thirty million. Street. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. You would you would just have your local dumpster. It would be. You have to light on fire. A modern night. version of the Monty Python saying, "Bring out your dead." They'd wheel the trash <laughs> trucks around to your house, and you'd throw grandma in there. That's literally how like, that would like, be. But, like, it, but that's exactly what Fauci told us that we would have back in February when all this kicked off. Oh, no. He told you a bunch of people die, which they did. And still he are. told and us then that 2.2 million people would be dead by June. Well, that's if we didn't if, do anything. That's, yes. We didn't flatten the curve. We, we flattened it, and then we're like, oh, hey, we're flat. We're good. We're good. And then, then it's starting to recurve. Well, so we can talk about why there's hot spots everywhere else in a second. But, yeah, so if we did nothing... We would have, you know, exposed almost all the society at once and had a lot more death, right? If we just like just took it on the face, right? Like, don't change any behavior. Just go about do our things. Especially because then what's going to happen is some of those deaths are not going to be from coronavirus, but it's going to be because you have a heart attack and go to the hospital to get that treated, and you die of your heart attack because uh, there's no bed for you. So all these other deaths go up because the hospitals are. You know, overwhelmed with those would be a greater number than the actual so, coronavirus because people die by those by the fucking hundreds of thousands. Right. Okay. So, so coronavirus uh, is the number three killer in the country. So let's talk about that specific point real quick because this is definitely something that is making the rounds. Um, 
is that there are uh, wards and beds that are reserved for only corona patients. Correct. Which means that while those go unfilled, that capacity is not available for other viruses or well, other for other, other elements or other things, you know, for whatever other regal like GSWs, whatever it is. So right? I so yes and no. That means they're gonna use all the other capacity first and then move into that capacity if somehow they got overflowed. But people aren't coming into the hospital as much right now. So I haven't oh, seen any like why why are not people going to the hospital? Fucking scared. Because they're scared, so they're staying at home with their heart attacks and getting really sick before they come in or not showing up. So half the admissions in hospitals are also social crap. Like people just come to the hospital because they feel lonely and have a little chest pain and they know if they tell someone that they get admitted for chest pain for twenty four hours and get to talk to someone. And, you know, get a meal and everything else. You can't turn anyone away at a hospital. Dude. If you want to be admitted, you're admitted. Huh. So a lot of that has stopped because no one wants to come to the hospital anymore unless you're so anxious and nervous about things that you come to the hospital anyways because of that. But a lot of this superfluous admissions and overuse of the emergency room for things that don't need to happen are not happening anymore. So uh, I think we're, come back. we're not we're not we're not we're not at peak we're not at the low point, but we're not at the max utilization we were say a year ago in hospital. So we right have now, a couple in terms of all the other stuff people coming. People are avoiding hospitals. in the chat window. So let's talk to okay. Uh, oh, so we're back, circling back to the uh, you know, schools. Uh, w Murphy is like uh, in case we're Florida. Oh yes. Yeah. So we're we're still swimming in cases. So he's disagreeing with you. Uh, and it would be make sense to delay the school opening until the, the they drop a bit. And I don't, I don't see a problem with you know a state by state thing because it's so, not. Sorry, you're cutting in a little bit, but yeah. So in places that are massive hotspots, say Florida, Texas, right now, California, it does not make sense to open schools. So if you're in a massive uh, overflow where <clears throat> PPE and everything else is breaking down, you need to stay at home to stop it. Stay at home to stop. It. So I would agree with that. But where I live in Pennsylvania, the transmission rate is low enough to tolerate that. That is exactly what Dr. Fauci says. Don't open up in a spot spot, but otherwise you can open up as long as you're being safe and using PPE and everything. Which, that would be great, but the knucklehead governors that are creating the problem in the first place are the ones that let's, let's open up everything. It's, it's all hoax. So they're the hot spots. So we, we really so, get so closer, here's the to closer to your mic, Frost. Get closer to your mic. Yeah, your mic's going crazy. Ah, okay. So yeah, I was so, just bitching about so politics. Let's talk. Let's talk about what happened in Florida and uh, Texas and everywhere else, because this is exactly the same thing that happened in twenty in nineteen seventeen eighteen and in two thousand nine. So, coronavirus hits California first in October, probably. That's the Chinese, the original Chinese strain. They it goes under the radar for a bit. They start seeing cases in January. You see it in Washington State as well. Um, that's the first peak. Then there is the Italian strain. That's the one that hit Italy that then came into New York. That hits in March. California is shut down. New York is shut down. Northeast Seaboard shuts down. Everywhere else stayed open, right? Right? Yes. They all stayed open. Yes. Since they stayed open, people left those places that were hot spots and went to the places that were open, bringing the virus with them. But since they weren't shut down... The virus sat there and smoldered and grew and grew and grew. Not enough to see because it takes a while. That's the beauty of exponential growth. But started picking up steam. 
The Northeast gets better. They open up. California's like, hey, great. We've solved our initial peak. We can go up and up. Unbeknownst to them, uh, the Italian strain was now smoldering in California. They open up. So that's now going to accelerate there. Florida, Texas, Arizona, other places that were open because they didn't have very many cases, all of a sudden have a bunch of cases because they didn't shut down while it was secretly spreading through them, and then they get slammed. Meanwhile, the Northeast has banned travel from everyone from those places. They'll try to keep the cases down. So if the entire country had shut down at once, even the places that didn't have it, then it would have died out everywhere at once, which is how you stop a pandemic spreading. Not only would we have flattened the curve, we would have probably killed the whole thing and been done. Kind of like Europe, mostly is. Or New Zealand. Fucking New Zealand, man. Those people rule. Right, but you have to, we're much bigger, right? But you'd have to do it in the entire country at once. Florida would have to shut down with very few cases while New York is shut down so that any cases in Florida you don't know about or that a New Yorker who's visiting, fleeing from New York to Florida doesn't spread it either, right? Hmm. Everything shut down, and then you come back online. Yeah, we basically did a systemic. You know, we did a sector by sector reboot, and so the virus just moved from one sector to another instead of rebooting everything and killing. Yeah. So what you're saying is, when it hit New York, we should have um, just like turned that into a prison colony and sent in Snake Plissken <laughs> to fuck shit up. Yeah, but someone would have escaped with it, and people are going to come from Europe with it. You just shut down the whole country. Yeah. You just shut down. Yeah, but we didn't do that. No. So, I mean, day one, well, I we, mean, I, we like, knew this was going to happen. Realistically, we like, yeah, exactly. We knew it was going to happen because that we is, ne- never was a possibility. You can't do that. No. Well, we, you we, could we, do that. We could. We don't have we the will because, because we're a bunch of fucking yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think that we could have logistically pulled that off. My freedoms. Right. right. So. Well, well, I mean, forget about the freedoms. Like, who's going to guard the people that are guarding the guards? Like, the no, I mean, you would, you, you basically, if you did a New York style lockdown in every state at the same time, like everyone stay at home, that cast dude, except if you're essential, exactly. no travel, no bars, no restaurants, no nothing, simultaneously in the entire country at once, the places that don't have it never get it because it doesn't smolder. Well, we somebody was just pointing out. In the we chat, didn't do it. We don't. And like, basically, we knew from the get go it wasn't going to happen. We don't have the constitutional power to do that because literally the Tenth Amendment, you know, states right. states are all. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it is a pl- was a plausible solution in America. You could have gotten all the governors to agree to it. So <laughs> in an ideal land, all the governors in solidarity agree to a fifty state compact to do this while distributing goods to hot spots across the nation at once, and then kumbaya, we're all better. Yeah. Now, is that going to happen? No. Is that what would have been necessary? No, because yes. Governor Jethro Chickenfucker of, of Mississippi is going to be like, no, even in your hypothetical scenario, because Mississippi is just a shithole state. So, um, Right, but, but that's the point. It's like, it's not going to happen. And so, like, in Europe, basically, they kind of did it, where they all agreed to kind of sh- shut down. Not everyone did, but they had more cohesion across countries in the EU, and so that's why they're better off. Yeah. It's because cross-country, or in our case, cross-state transmission wasn't occurring, and everyone was shut down together. Yeah. So you squash the whole region. Let me back up a second, so, because there's a great question in the, in the chat, and I don't know if any of you guys can see that, but uh, this, this, 
this makes a lot of sense. Uh, do you think that the internet has helped to subside some of the mental health issues uh, since it's keeping everybody connected? No. <laughs> well, no. So I don't know how we would have done this in before the internet. Like, how would you work from home? How would you communicate with anyone? Facts. So I think you have, on balance, you have the fact that the internet amplifies all the craziness and everyone can see all these research articles and everything else. Yet simultaneously, the internet's the reason why we have uh, a vaccine in under a year, right? Because we could flip in one person in China sequenced it in January, posted it online, and we all have it. Oh, right? shit. So could you imagine Blockbuster video? Like, that would be like the biggest fucking like, hotspot. Because there's no Netflix, right. so people are going to you know trading like COVID covered fucking VCR tapes. Right. So I think I think I don't think you you can say that the problems of the internet with you know memes and viral this and clickbait everything make things worse and amplify fear. But it's also how people are staying connected, get doing work like going to work essentially. Yeah. And uh, getting the research done this fast. So. So in a sense, it's kind of you can say one way or another. So I think it has nice been. That we had a break between a hundred year break between our last pandemic when everybody lived on a fucking farm and you know did did farm shit, and then now when everybody's all crammed together, but they can stay in their stupid ass house and you know watch Netflix and right. whatever on the internet and Facebook. Exactly, and so I think on balance, eh, I don't know. So what you're saying is God is someone real, have to do, and he's thinking. Oh, sorry, I'm just being a dick. So. <laughs> So what if we um, did exactly the opposite? What if we pulled a Sweden and just had a massive international COVID party? So that's not what Sweden did, though. Okay. Sweden didn't mandate it. Sweden said, we would like you to all wear masks and be socially distant as much as possible and minimize your commuting. And that's what they did. Yes, and they the are more just asked. And most people did it they're more culturally homogenous they're more socially invested so they give a shit about their neighbors unlike americans where you know fuck your neighbors you know i'm gonna cough in your baby's mouth because you looked at me funny and and that's how we are we're we're a bunch of dicks so it wouldn't have worked here right so sweden sweden has slightly little if you look at like traffic i'd have to look up the most recent data but you can like measure based on phones and cars like how much activity people are having getting out of their home. And so I think they, at their lowest, were slightly more active or out of our, their homes than we were at our lowest with all well, the they're, mandates. Uh, they're, they're actually still not working because it's the summer. So they like they basically take from like June to August off. Right. Like the entire country. So it's no problem to just stay at home for well, that. Right, right. And, and they were by being asked politely to do something, just did it. <laughs> Try Almost as well as our also huge, 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 huge consumers of public transportation, more so than America by far, I believe. Um, well, right, and there's spread issues in public transportation, but they... And there's also this other uh, concern that has to do with uh, some sort of... Um, uh, I want to say, like, uh, endemic... Uh, or not endemic, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, just basically built-in like, white person (laughs) white European um, uh, resilience to this thing. So, that's a good Uh, question. So, I I haven't looked it all up. Um, 
But so the receptor that the virus goes in through is called the ACE2 receptor, angiotensin converting enzyme 2 receptor. Um, or it's not a receptor, but it, it serves as a receptor. There is this key, lock and key on a cell that's responsible for this. It's part of the blood pressure path. It helps regulate blood pressure. Kids don't have a lot of this receptor, by the way, which is probably also why they are resistant to the virus. Oh, look, more data that's all consistent. Huh. Um, but African-Americans in particular and other ethnic groups have higher risks for high blood pressure than um, Caucasians often. Um, it is, there's, there's lots of reasons we can go into for this, but just, just taking that as a base assumption and that high blood pressure is a risk for coronavirus bad outcomes, you can have a racial disparity, not even counting healthcare access, which is a whole other issue, right? But just looking at um, that alone, blood high bl hypertensive, being high, high blood pressure is a risk factor for coronavirus and bad outcome. And minor various minorities in America and abroad have higher blood pressure. Boom. And there's probably some, you know, there's definitely socioeconomic inputs into that uh, cluster of differences. And there's also probably some level of physiological differences just based on blood pressure responses. Like we know that different races respond better to different blood pressure medications. So they have a whole different paradigm in America for an African-American with high blood pressure versus a Caucasian at first, some better in some patients and races than others. And it's weird, and there's lots of reasons we're trying to figure out why this is the case, but it happens since that's all about blood pressure and coronavirus enters through the blood pressure pathway in cells, essentially. Again, I'm hand-waving not to get in the weeds. Yeah, well, it's probably yeah, something yeah, yeah. Going I don't want to get into race crap. I mean, honestly, if you, you take, if, if a black family adopted uh, a white kid, that it would probably be a similar situation because it's more cultural than, than genetic. I don't think there's a as much of a genetic predisposition to shit. I mean, it's just. Well, the a, well so there is for drugs. So, for instance, you use hydrochlorothiazide okay. in African Americans, whereas you use an ACE inhibitor in uh, white, essentially, as a first line drug. There's different order that you go in because um, they respond better. And so that is presumably independent of adoption. But then there's other things that are dependent on environment. That's why it, it, it's actually comp very complicated. Well, the whole thing's it's multifactorial. So it'd be like a metaprolol versus a, uh, uh, what's the thing? Metoprolol, right? Metoprolol, yeah. metoprolol. So, you know, yeah. And the protocol changes. I'm just saying that well, right? you don't have Race to, you, you don't have and... to on that. But the, the, the yeah. point is, is that there, um, you know, there are genetic differences that necessitate a different course of action. Right. And and so if there's genetic differences in blood pressure responses and this works through blood pressure pathways, some of that is, you know, probably going on. So uh, we talked about this on a previous podcast. Um, you were kind of talking about the progression of the virus as uh, as it gets worse and worse in patients that uh, you know may be in fact terminal at that point, and you were talking about how it you know starts in the lungs, right? And so that's why we yeah. right, and so then it kind of evacuates from there and then goes and attacks the heart. So I was wondering if you had any follow up on that. Sure. So, so coronavirus is definitely a respiratory virus. It enters and starts in your respiratory system. But in a subset of people, it doesn't stay there. It either causes this, this immune response, a cytokine release syndrome, or it causes 
and, and, and related to that, it causes coagulopathy. So that's a fancy word for blood clotting. And we think that's actually why people get so epoxic or low on oxygen. It's not because it's just affecting their lungs. Uh, influenza infects your lungs, makes your lungs fill with pus, essentially. Then you get a bacterial infection. Then you get something called acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is the ARDS. You get stiff lungs that don't ventilate well. A lot, a lot of coronavirus patients, even on ventilators, they don't have stiff lungs. Their lungs are relatively easy to ventilate. It's that they don't get the oxygen through their lungs, probably because they have a bunch of small blood clots in the blood vessels that link your blood with your lung. So there's no oxygen getting into the blood. So, so let that's me... part of it. And then it invades other tissue, heart, kidney, other things, and just kills it. Right. Like once you've got no oxygen, then... Everything well, there's two problems. Down, right? Low oxygen. Well, there's two steps. Low oxygen, hypoxia, causes tissue to die. That's called ischemia. That's what a heart attack is, essentially, but much more dramatic because there's no blood right there versus less oxygen in the blood everywhere, right? But lower oxygen in the blood can cause tissue damage over time. But also, the virus infects other cells, like your heart cells, like your kidney cells, and kills them in some people at some times, especially probably people who are hypertensive who have more of these damn receptors all over their body to try to regulate their blood pressure. So I'm going to accidentally sort of circle back to hydroxychloroquine, right. you know, which, which we covered in detail. Um, but my question is then how, uh, how do you think that, you know, given your current understanding, right? So uh, obviously I'm not right. going to hold your feet to the fire on this. Um, so the current COVID, SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, Right. How do you see that as similar to or potentially related to either sickle cell anemia or malaria? Right. So there is. So the way sickle cell anemia works with malaria is that it, sickle cell trait, which is where you have one of the two copies of the gene, hemoglobin S. means that some of your hemoglobin is different. And so what happens is, is malaria grows and expands in blood cells. Right. That's its reserve. One of the reservoirs of the parasite. So people with sickle cell trait, their blood cells pop open more easily. And so the malaria dies because it doesn't have a factory. And so they're resistant to malaria, which is why that genetic trait keeps propagating, even though sickle cell disease is so deadly, right? They'll take the homozygous pairing being lethal to take the heterozygous, I have one copy, protection from malaria when malaria is that bad. Okay. Does that make sense? Hydroxychloroquine alters the oxygen tension and the, the what's called the redox stress, the, the reductive oxygenation stress in a cell so that when it gets malaria, it pops open and dies. So it destroys the reservoir. It also works as an immunosuppressant by reducing the oxidative burst of immune cells and causing immune cells to function less well in all types of ways we really don't understand particularly well. It's an old dirty drug, right? It's not like one of these new antibodies or designer drugs. Right. So, how could hydroxychloroquine work? It's a good question. So, when this first came out, there was a really interesting preprint paper that I've never seen make the rounds since. Preprint is when people post their stuff up before it's peer-reviewed, which we're using, which scientists use in way while they're waiting to get try to get a grant while their papers are in the peer review process. It's a timing thing. But now we're using it to get shit out there fast while it's going peer review. Yeah, there was a bunch of bullshit that came uh, through that channel be, recently. Right. It's like it's a speed channel while you're waiting to get. And then you're, it's peer-reviewed by the public, which can be useful. And when journalists latch um, on to that shit, it gets bad. It's like, oh, yeah, it's just like it's snorting, you know, powdered bleach can kill, you know. Right. 
It's not good. But there's lots of good stuff that's, pe that's pre-printed first. So it's a fine mechanism generally. It's just kind of going sideways and off the rails in modern America like everything. So how does it maybe work? So it may be there was a thought that iron, so your blood has hemoglobin in it. Hemoglobin has what's called a heme iron. That's a heme iron 2 plus in it, right? There's iron in the middle of this protein called hemoglobin, and that's what allows it to bind oxygen. And so there was a theory that COVID displaced the heme iron or oxidized it to another state. And so then your blood couldn't carry oxygen very well. So it's almost like having carbon monoxide poisoning, and that is why people with COVID have such shitty oxygenation. Right. Yep. It's not their lungs are stiff, it's that their blood's not carrying oxygen. I haven't been able to see if that paper's been validated and followed up particularly well. I need to keep hunting it down. I just haven't had time. But if that were true, it would explain why hydroxychloroquine works is because those cells would have screwed up oxygen tension. And so having a cell that basically a, 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 vir a, a drug that relies on sensing altering oxygen tension to cause the function of a cell to go different, that could be how hydroxychloroquine is working because it's also alters redox in cells and so potentially kills cells that are infected with COVID. Because here's the thing. If you have a bunch of COVID in a cell and I kill it, COVID, that, all the virus in there was already going to come out, right? So the way viruses work is they go in a cell, they hijack the cell's replication machinery and make a whole bunch more copies of itself and then blow up the cell and release out. So if you can interrupt that process, the cell was supposed to die, right? It was supposed to die and a million yeah. copies of the virus were supposed to release. So if I can give you a drug that blows it up when there's only 10,000 copies of the virus being released, right? I'm actually doing good because a cell was going to die anyway, but I've killed it earlier before the virus had as much chance to replicate. There's a couple of viruses that don't kill the cell, so if, if I can't remember specifically, but I mean, they just hijack right. the machinery and kind of coexist and fuck shit up. Right, So, but eventually the cells will die. And so the idea is you just, or it just keeps producing and never dies. So you kill the ones that are infected, you have tons of cells, it dies off. So that's the theory of how it could work. But again, we have no outpatient trials for prevention. And everything inpatient, is not everything, an but anecdotal in, in, at best. Well, in total, if you take the sum total of all the inpatient data, which we have plenty of now, it does not work. The best promising study was from Henry Ford, it hasn't been reproduced. Other places have shown it fails. That so, was the one total, that got referenced does not by Senator Chucklefuck, and he was going back and forth with uh, Tony Fauci about that. Yeah, the, uh, the it study. doesn't work in total. Now, the FDA doesn't rescind emergency status for no reason. They did. <laughs> they have no dog in the fight, right? They're just going based off the date. It doesn't work, which sucks. Fair enough. Yeah, no, I mean, he went on there. It's like, if hydroxychloroquine was a treatment... I can do it. I don't care. I mean, I I'm not here to. I mean, I'm. This is not his words because he's pretty not not going to say. I don't. I don't fucking care. But, <laughs> you know, these are my words. But paraphrasing from my point of view, yeah, he, he has no dog in the fight, and he just wants people to stop fucking dying. So the, the people that are like, oh, Fauci's a devil, man. He's trying to destroy America. He's a fucking. He's been doing this shit for forty years. He yeah. fought Reagan over HIV. Yep. Dude deserves a fucking yes. medal. He already has one, but I mean, he deserves more. Yeah. And then, then he can beat people with the medal. 
because it's heavy. So also, we, we need to remember uh, Francis Collins, the head of the NIH, who's the one that did the Human Genome Project, is an unsung hero right now because that man is uh, keeping Fauci uh, safe and sound and basically running massive, impressive political interference. I don't know what he's doing, but he is doing an amazing uh -oh. job keeping the NIH sheltered uh, from all this. Probably involves orange stains. And my dad actually worked on the Human Genome Project, uh, building right. out all their server farm and stuff. It's kind of cool. Yeah, Francis Collins is a really nice dude. A comment uh, from the um, a... uh, from the chat channel is that Reagan was closeted homosexual. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, that doesn't really contribute anything to the uh, information we're passing out, but I, you know. Yeah, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's just, I mean... So, um, one of the things that Fauci said, uh, and, and maybe he's been saying this for months, but it's definitely come to light in the last week or so with the congressional testimony that he was doing, was that he is now not recommending that we wear face shields, but he thinks it's a pretty good idea because there are other uh, mucosal surfaces through which you can contract right. COVID. So if you ask a nerd like Fauci what the best way to prevent you from getting the virus is, right? What are all the things you should do? He will tell you all the things you should do. And he will then couch that as he did and said, but that's not necessarily practical to get everyone to do it. So yes, the best thing to do would be to wear a face shield and a mask. We have our kid <clears throat> who goes to camp. <laughs> a full scuba suit all the time. Well, right. certain people could I, probably I, get away with to, just. Um, I, I went from I went from a face shield and goggles or a mask and goggles to face shield and, and mask because it's just easier. We have our kid wear a face shield when he goes to camp because it's easier for him to wear that than it is to wear a mask, and it's about protecting other people. Hmm. But a face shield has more protection against spray, but maybe less protection, you know, if it's coming up and underneath. So the best is both. Um, a face shield is pretty good. You can see facial expression with it. Uh -huh. And yeah, ideally, you cover your eyeballs because it can get in your eyes and get you. Well, but I mean, your ears are, are connected to your sinus cavity, right? So that, that's what your eardrum is for. Hmm. What so, if you've got an exploded eardrum? Then you would be exposed. So yeah, I've, I've blown my eardrum your, out like three times. So Yeah, unless you have <laughs> tubes in your ear... Uh, your I, had, ears I, are not, I actually had that yeah. operation when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. Your, so, your tubes are not nor, you know your tubes are not normally uh, connected. It's your nose, your mouth, your eyes. I mean, after this past week of discussing this topic on Facebook and etc., I think uh, one of the uh, uh, the best solutions is that certain people um, could protect others not by wearing a mask, but by doing a um, a grocery bag, one of those plastic grocery bags, over their heads and then tied, sealed. And uh, if they did that, that just we would. You need duct tape for that. Yeah, duct tape, okay, yeah, but I mean, it has to be a thick one. It can't be one of those cheap Walmart ones. You know, it has to be a good solid HEB bag, um, and then yeah, some duct tape works. And then you know, we would just just a small portion of the population. Uh, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop. I, guess <laughs> I know th it's, this is going to keep me out of <laughs> fucking tenure someday. So. Probably. But yeah, it's the narrative is frustrating. I'm getting frustrated. It's now coming on all sides. And it's basically you have two camps. One is open everything up right now. Another one is shut down everything forever. There's no fucking and middle ground with some people. It's all insane. 
Oh, speaking about, uh, what do you think about high school football and soccer in non-hotspot oh, wow. areas? Football? So, oh, so, so actually, so I've been thinking about this. So football has helmets, right? Yeah, but they also have, they also have mouth guards, which collect a lot of saliva. Well, well I was going to say, if you uh, put a face shield over literally everyone's helmet and have it wrapped down, then you could maybe do it. That'd be cool. I'm into it. I mean, I don't even watch football, so fuck it. But it's Texas, so yeah. Yeah, f- football is the only thing that happens here. So Right. So, so, so let me phrase this way. Contact sports are probably a bad idea. You can do them in very specific ways that aren't conducive to uh, having athletic competition. But So I think the NBA, what they're doing, probably actually is the best example. Right, because they're basically putting everyone together in one spot, letting no one leave, and playing a season. That's cool, like camps. So herd immunity, kind of. Well, not just. Well, Jonathan, it's a closed system, right? So they're not going in, they're not coming out. No one's coming in, no one's going out. Anyone's theoretically coming in or out has been tested. Unlike baseball, where they're flying all over the place and going from place to place, right? Everyone's in one spot, closed system, together. Football Island. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I was saying I was thinking about MLB, not NBA. Right, so, right, right. NBA yeah. is all in like they all went to what the wide world of sports and Disney and just stayed there. That makes sense, right? That that's a way you could do it. Is that compatible with high school or college sports? No, not really. Right. But what do you do about the fact that if you don't have your college, your high school sports season, a whole bunch of people don't get scholarships or don't get anything else, and like people's careers probably. I don't have a good answer for that. Study um, harder. On the one hand, I go to back to how many kids are going to die? Almost none. It's probably safe for the kids. What about community spread? Pretty bad. I actually Basically. know a PhD wrestler. Somebody asked about wrestling. Um, and probably yeah, that's a hard no. But yeah, I know a PhD wrestler. So, so I was going to talk shit about him. But yeah. I mean, like, so no, you can. If you, so here's the way you would do it. If you were to do. So you know how people are creating kind of like pods or bubbles of people that they're around that so they have like two or three people that they see and everyone agrees to like tell each other if someone's sick and um, that's like your small group of people that you're around not isolating from. This is pretty common at this point, some way, shape, or form. Sometimes it's your family, right? Sometimes you don't have family around to pick like a friend, right? This kind of concept. You can do that with jujitsu or wrestling. You could pick I have one training partner or I have two training partners. And there's the only people I train with, and there's the coach. And the coach just tries to stay away from me and wears a mask. These are the people I train with, and no one else. And we all agree to communicate every illness to each other, and we take no other risks outside of this, and this is our team. Right? That's what you do. It's very narrow. And then obviously anyone at high risk could stay the hell away. But you could do it with, like, again, it doesn't work for a wrestling uh, program at a school where you need to go through tournaments and do everything. But if you wanted to do jujitsu and you just had your two jujitsu buddies and the coach and you guys came on Monday and you worked on one half of the room and the other group of three worked in the other half of the room and you could have you had a small ass class size or, you know, it'd be based on how big the gym is, but very far apart with lots of air circulation, small little groups, never intermixed. You could do it. But yeah. It's hard commercially, but if they're paying rent anyways, maybe it's better than nothing. Well, we gave um, have to do. a lot of jujitsu schools shit for keep staying open and like ignoring all lockdown shit. But uh, I think uh, who was the guy? Uh, Plasma was all over this on the Facebook page. Tommy yeah. Blass. I, I don't. Yeah. I'm so far out of yeah, the yeah. fucking world. But um, 
and, and try to make it clear that if you guys are quarantining and you're like, if uh, there can be like 10 of you, who gives a shit? If you're all like living in the same house, training in the same little compound, fine, great. Just don't have contact with anybody else and do your shit. I, I get it. That, yeah, that's you cool. you can do it. Right, right. So you could do that. Like, like you are a small little cluster that, and that's your, your, your quarantine group. And if you all die, then, you know, we'll just come around and get the bodies. Just, just stay well, probably not, because probably the people who do jujitsu who are high risk shouldn't be doing it. And everyone else is in the very low risk and probably nothing will happen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, even if they all get sick, they'll all be fine, but they're not spreading it to everyone. And the concern is community spread to get to the people who are exposed at risk. But if they're isolated and only see each other at this and go back home, it's imperfect, but that, that's how you try to do it and think about the risk, right? You don't think about the risk by just, you know, running around and doing jiu-jitsu everywhere and then going out to a bar at night and hanging out with people and, like, you know, downing a bunch of beers while talking about that awesome mori you just hit on someone. Yeah. Then you're going to spread it. I, I have been trying to explain this to people by just using an STD analogy. It's like, imagine if you could breathe herpes onto somebody else and you probably would want to stay away from other fucking people, you know? Right. There's so there's that big t study that came, there's that big report that came out of Georgia. Did you guys see about that, about that summer camp in Georgia? No. That, like a whole bunch of people got sick all at once and now uh, they're using yeah, it as a reason. Not, not, and now you're, they're using it, so this is why we shouldn't open schools. So here's my analogy. If opening schools with PPE is like having sex with a condom with a partner, that scenario of no PPE on the kids and everyone in bunk beds overnight with no masks on, obviously, because you don't sleep with a mask on, is like having an orgy with no condom. Like, of course, if you put a whole bunch of people together, bunk them in rooms, and one of them's sick, by the end of the weekend, everyone will be sick because you incubated everyone together maximally. Yeah. Like, like I couldn't come up with a better way of doing it if I tried. I mean, I could, but I'd be like, Let's put them all in a 20-foot by 20-foot room and have them breathe on each other for a day. Oh, wait, that's being in a bunk at night. Like, duh. Yeah. The room is filling up with all their fucking respiratory droplets. Right. And they're on next to each other, and it's a bunch of I Come on. It's like, and they're not wearing masks during the day either because none of them were required. So, of course, they're going to spread it. Did you hear about that school that opened for, like, one day and they immediately had, had to lock down again? Um, fuck. Right, because someone sent their kid in who is out of symptom. They sent them in with a fever. So yes, if you send children in who are sick, that's an infection risk. Yeah. So Now, and that's a real question. What do you do about the fact that parents are, don't have a solution, even for sick kids, and what do they do? And the answer is you got to find some type of resource community-wide to enable that, right? Yeah, but we're not big but about that community The well, reason we health. can't send anyone to school, you need to find a solution for that so that you can get help for the cases where you need to have someone watch your kid who is ill while you go to work. It's just another reason why the Scandinavian or maybe a federal sick leave, or a federal sick leave program. I don't know. <laughs> you mean yeah, get, yeah, yeah. get paid for not going into work? That's fucking communist. I know. Fuck. But man. hey, we had UBI for a few weeks, right? That yeah. Don't make me get my Andrew Yang math hat out because fuck, I just. Without getting into politics, man, was that guy ahead of his time, and that's the kind of thinking we need right now. Well, he was like, I didn't want to be right this way. He was on uh, Sam Harris recently. Yeah. 
He's like, I didn't want to be right this way. This no. is not how I wanted to be proven right, goddammit. No, I'm... Basically. It's like, yeah. That shit. But you are. Yep. So, at least he's still out there anyway. doing things. Maybe he'll get appointed secretary of the unfucking this. So. Yeah. The unfuckery. <laughs> who, who are we kidding? Trump's getting reelected, so... <laughs> So I, have, I have, I actually have no idea on this one. Like, you know, I, I, you know, it's 2020, so I assume that like he'll be reelected and turn into some type of mecca that will rule over us forever. Oh, that yeah. seems to be the timeline. Oh, and, and then when, when he dies, when he dies of COVID, it's it's just going to inherit to Ivanka. So we've got President Ivanka, and then you know, yeah. well, you know, you you can't take it with you, so leave it. And then leave we it have a Jew as president, so you know that that's a win. Oh yeah, because she converted, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I didn't. I forgot about that. But yeah, so hey, I, I, let's talk about no, no. Let's talk about um. What's his What's his chuckle face? Um, her husband, Mister Ivanka, because that dude was given, and th- this is the story that broke up like last week. A dude was given co- charge of the whole national pandemic response and decided that because it was hitting um, blue states harder, they were just going to fucking just yeah, let that and let the governors take charge. And that's, some people have argued, is bioterrorism. But I yeah. I kind of, yeah, I don't know. Does anything he's been put in charge of work well? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the peace in the Middle East, that, that was solved in um, 27, never. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but he had a plan. Yeah. Well, I guess. <sighs> Sorry. Now we're getting depressed. Uh, no. Yeah. yeah no. It's, it's, so, it's, it's, actually, on on a more serious note, I wanted to point out um, there is a you know so there are a couple of just absolute sewers on the internet, uh, and I think we all know what those are. Bullshito Facebook page. Um, generally, generally speaking, I consider Reddit to be a sewer, but they actually have a really good subreddit called uh, COVID nineteen, which is very heavily moderated and has like only like you said, like these preprint or actual clinical trials and 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 actual peer reviewed stuff in there, uh, and they, they they keep it really tight. So. If you're interested in looking at stuff, and this is not for you, because I know you know this because this is your job, um, but for any of our listeners, uh, it's uh, reddit.com slash r slash COVID-19. Uh, no affiliation, just it's a good resource if you're looking Hey, well, if we're plugging Reddit, Bullshito has a subreddit on Reddit. It's r Bullshito, strangely enough. So, I mean. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we haven't even got into self-promotion yet, so we could do that, so. too. And we have a podcast. Did you know that? We, we it did. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I'm gonna... <sighs> so, I mean, it kind of feels like we're winding down here. So why don't we work yeah. on an outro? Oh, yeah. So, you know. Do, do you want me to do my catchphrase again? Because I, I don't know if it if, if I got it right the first time. I, 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 I can do it. My knife hand's ready. It's It's been warmed up this whole time. Can we play that My Corona song? Can we do that? Oh, God. Oh, from Z-Dog MD? That yeah, didn't age well. Yeah, that was hilarious. Z- Z- Z-Dog <laughs> is amazing. Yeah. He's but- also quite mm-hmm. the moderate, reasonable person who isn't just, like, shut everything down or, like, open it all up. He, you know, data-driven. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's a, he's a good guy, but I'm telling you, that didn't age well because, like, the, if I remember the video, uh, it's very China-focused. Um, it's problematic. I'm surprised he hasn't been canceled. So, I mean, 
Give it time. Give it time. Everyone will be canceled. Well, yeah. I mean, just a long enough timeline. So, so, so if, if everyone gets canceled, is this like Highlander where the last one left is the, is the winner <laughs> and gets the prize? Or do they get canceled too? And then since everyone's canceled, we're all uncanceled and then it's over and like we. we no, no, no. The, so, curve. No, and it then, is like, like the Highlander. pandemic was over. When we get canceled, then they bring in a new actor to reboot the franchise. Uh, oh, dude! Speaking of uh, cancellation, this has nothing to do with anything, but I have to bring it up because I've been I've been paying attention to it. It's it's like the greatest awful thing on Twitter right now. Is um right now there is a war between mathematicians, woke mathematicians, that are arguing, straight fucking faced, that two plus two can equal five. For extremely large values of two. Uh, and then there's this like two approaches the limit of three. There's like it's, one. It's, Stalwart defender a, of common fucking sense. It's a sense. rounding error. It's it's just a rounding error. Well, there's like three ways that you can do it. One is a rounding error. Um, that's the most common. Yeah. Uh, people are like re, re like changing the models, and they're like making two point five plus two point five. They're both technically two, but so they equal. It's just it. It's a bunch of yeah. horseshit, and they have this postmodernist nonsense where they're they're like, okay, well, you just. Math is a construct of, you know, Western heteronormative fucking, you know, white males. So it's colonizer math, and it, there needs to be room for other interpretations and other ways of knowing things. So, so would they be f in favor of switching to Arabic numerals? <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> but uh, seriously, there are some actual mathematicians on there. Now, the flip side of it is literally one guy, James Lindsay, who published this, the all those... He was one of the three oh, people. Yes. Fucking dude, yeah, yeah. I love that guy, and he does Tai Chi. So I, you know, every now and then I give him shit about it, and I would love to fight him. But um, yeah, no, he's he's like going on, and he's just trolling the fuck out of him. It's it's amazing. I mean, he even took four copies of his book in two different piles. He has a book called uh, Cynical Theories about critical theory and all the bullshit thinking, and just push them together. Two plus two equals four. So it, it's it's the most baffling fucking amazing thing on twitter right now and uh I, i'm glad to be living in a time where we can argue about math <laughs> can, can well, we agree that as, as we nothing exit else this, we can do can we agree that as we exit this that quarantine at least is leading to peak meme oh man like like people's meme skills are like really becoming on point and they're beginning you know there's just there's extra layers of photoshopping with pun intended um and uh skill going on. It has gotten the, sophisticated. The, There's some good shit out there now. It's a high quality, man. Because, you know, yeah, we, were, I mean, we were doing memes before people were using that fucking word, except for, like, out of evolutionary biology. It was it was not a, right. a, a term. Right, right. But, like, but right now, it's like it's like peak, peak, peak quality of meme, because everyone's just at home fermenting all day. Yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, well, fuck you. I'm going to spend ten hours on this shit, you know? <laughs> Uh, like the best meme ever, dude. Murphy is asking if the sciencey talk is done. Um, I don't yeah. know. Are we? We're. Not, I think the, we're good. I think the talky talk yeah. is done. So yeah, we, we I, kind I, of I, fell I, into politics and uh, sociology. Yeah, I have to here, actually so. get up in the morning and go to the lab again. Oh shit! I actually work tomorrow. To, oh fuck! I forgot. That, thank you for reminding me. That that would have sucked. Um, Wait, you're working tomorrow? I, I work tomorrow. Yeah. So I mean, oh shit! Yeah, we're running. We're running low on you know people. I don't, strangely, they're are they all getting sick? Or are they all quitting? Uh, it's it's more of the latter, but you know, I don't know. Once they quit, who gives a fuck? So they might be dead. 
<laughs> I hope none of so my So they're just workers telling you they shit. quit, and they're yeah, just secretly they being quit. They're like, <laughs> they're the <laughs> I can't come in anymore. I hate this place. So actually, uh, sort of a, a semi-related um, point there. I had to uh, I had to get my truck inspected. We do annual inspections here in Texas. Yeah. Uh, and so I went to the place, and uh, they were they were really backed up. And the reason why is because they're all required to be masked at all times, and it's 107 degrees here. Yeah. And so yeah. people, the 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 guy said that uh, three people quit within the previous three days because they're just like, no, I can't do this. Like I yeah. can't, I can't, I can't wear this mask and do this job. It's just too hot. So so. I'm going to leave on this point is that this America couldn't win World War II. Nope. Ooh. Nope. We're all pussies. Can't ration butter. Can't ration tin. Oof. Can't wear a mask all day. Oof. Oofington Jr. Jesus Christ. That's. All right. Yeah. Let's end it up that because that, that is a low point and we're not going to get any lower. <laughs> so. Well, we, we could. We haven't really tried yet. No, yeah. I think that's but, a good. Yeah. The bar is set. going to win this one. Bar. So. We're definitely not going to win this one. So. <laughs> and with that, so thank you time. to Steve and Jason for uh, joining welcome. us. we got to do this again. We will, probably in a few more months. I figure like November-ish. November-ish, we all hitting flu season. <laughs> yeah, flu season. Yeah, yeah that's, that's and then what once happens. the vaccines are that's out. That's the important thing people. that happens in November is flu season. <laughs> and there's an election, but... That doesn't matter anymore. So there's not going to yeah. be one, right? No. And then, and then probably when vaccines come, <laughs> out, we yeah. have to convince people oh. to get stabbed. Oh God, we need to do a vaccine episode too. Oh, oh they're I don't the worst. Even take that on. No, just save it for the COVID one. It'll be easier then. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna have a bottle of scotch right here for, for that episode. I'm just yep. gonna be like, like you the really should make your drink again. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, well, I must be off. All right. Thank you very much. Right. We will Take see care. you again. Peace All out. All right. Bye-bye.